Hey, man. Hey, Mason. How's it going? We're back. We are back. We're back post-Thanksgiving. Post How was your Thanksgiving? It was nice. Good to see everybody. Good to hang out and just kind of relax for a few days. Yep. Out in Iowa. How was it? Cold? No, it was actually pretty nice. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it was a little chillier than it is here, but, you know, it's 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 kind of cozy when it's Dude, chilling. it's like 70 degrees here right now. Yeah, today it was It's it was concerning. Nice. Yeah. It's concerning. That's kind of how Colorado is this time of year, though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. One thing, uh, Spotify Wrapped came out today. It did, man. That was kind of cool. Yeah. I always, I always love that. I always love checking out what I've been listening to. Of course I know, but, like, what, what surprised you about yours? Well, I kind of became a Spotify guy full-time like midway through the year. So sure. I was kind of a part-time Spotify guy. So my yeah. stuff is kind of like fucked up. It's kind of shitty, but surprisingly our podcast was my number three podcast, Very which was nice. cool, which was cool. <laughs> Love that. How about you? Yeah. I don't know. It's same, same, you know, usual artists. I think Dylan's been top for, well, he wasn't number one. This for year, seven last, years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> last six years. He's been one or two. Fruit bats were number one. But one thing that surprised me was I listened to, a lot of people listen to this much music too, but like 50,000 minutes. Oh yeah. Which, you know, is, you know, most people were like 20 to 50 or 20 to 40 or something like that. But fi- what surprised me is 50,000 minutes. Guess how many days that is like straight days. Uh, I have no idea. It is like 34 straight days, straight days, <laughs> which is wild because it takes place over the course of a year. So For that's, sure. One yeah. twelfth, like one full month straight doing nothing. Well, I mean, well, you're, you're multi I'm working, but you you're know? listening to Spotify, yeah. listening to Spotify. So, my, so I'm using Spotify for like over one solid month back to back over the course of a year, which is wild. That might put Spotify in as the number one in terms of the amount of time that you spend on it. I sure should don't spend any more time on anything else. Yeah. You know, that's kind of crazy. Like, that's a ton of time. That is a lot of time. Yeah. I had, so mine, my top artists were, are you familiar with Morgan Wallen? I am. Yeah. That dude dropped a fire album like midway through the year. Yeah. And I just listened to that album on repeat and I haven't listened to him lately, but I listened to that album so many listened times it that, it, that, that it ranked number one. Yeah. So that actually was surprising. And then I had, um, are you familiar with Elenium? I am not. Dude, he played at Red Rocks and he's like a like a melodic EDM kind of dubstepy kind of guy. Sure. And he fucking murdered it and I got obsessed with him. So I, I listened. So he was my number two. And then I went back to country. I kind of like toggled back in between country and EDM. It was kind of funny. So I had Tyler Childers. Are you yeah. familiar with Tyler? Of course. Yeah. I like yeah, I feel like you love Tyler. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, I was uh, alt country was my number, alt number one thing. Quite different from like pop country, you dude. Know? There were some, there were some really funny Instagram posts. One of my buddies posted uh, his top genres, and he was like, "I never knew I was like a freak punk indie guy, but I guess I am." <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, they, yeah, they gave you like two words to describe yourself or something like that. Yeah, any musical interest. I think mine was like free spirited and melancholy. That. That sounds about right. I'm for like, you. Yeah, it's actually like a little, a little accurate. I see you because I follow you on whatever Spotify, and so I can always see your little. Whenever you're active, yeah. I can. You're always at the top of my screen, yeah. and I can see like whatever song you're listening to. And dude, you're always listening to music. I don't think I've ever logged on and not seen you listening to music. 
Yeah. I'm always doing two things. I'm drinking something, whether it's water, coffee, or alcohol, I or guess. Or San Pellegrino. Yeah, or San Pellegrino at the moment. <laughs> Sponsored. Um, or uh, and listening to music, I guess, or talking. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, Sim- simple man. Well, we got a loaded one today. Yeah, and, we do. Uh, I think that it's only appropriate for us to have a little debate about NFTs. Yeah, they're a hot topic right now. The JPEGs of rocks. <laughs> JPEGs of anything, really. JPEGs of JPEGs. Yeah, let's talk about that. Then I want to talk about Solana. I want to give you a pitch. I'm thinking about buying it. Interested. And then population collapse. Population collapse. This is the Vantage Podcast. All right, so where are we starting? Well, I was thinking about buying this JPEG of a rock for $2 million, and I wanted to get your perspective on it. Yeah, I would say, I mean, if I had $2 million to spend, I would definitely buy a JPEG of a rock, for sure. <laughs> you know, But, I mean, in all honesty, if that JPEG of a rock was worth $2 million today and worth $10 million tomorrow, it's dumb not to buy it, right? But it's a bubble. There's... N- almost no feasible way that it's not. I understand that art and art collecting is valuable, but like the sheer enormity of the space like just doesn't it it doesn't, it doesn't make any make sense. sense. Something that's only predicated on the expectation of future returns, I don't believe is sustainable and I think that it's basically just a faith. Do I think it's cool and do I think it's fun? Yeah, sure, you know, is like collecting and creating cool i think so definitely um is it does that does that necessarily translate into the exorbitant values that we're seeing no I, I don't think so so as a as a starting point for my perspective on this so we had a conversation about it earlier on a different episode so we were kind of in, in agreement these things are are worthless and i kind of agree with this but i did take to twitter about all this. And when you take to Twitter about anything, you get some responses. But I actually like reached out to some smart people and said, hey, look, if you can, I am all ears. Explain to me how NFTs are valuable. Yeah. Because I do not understand. I'm open-minded about this stuff. I'm not acting like I know everything. But explain to me how a JPEG of a rock has any value whatsoever. Now, I got one interesting response. A lot of these people were just dipshits that I was talking to, as is most of Twitter. But one guy, I forgot who his name was, but he he gave an interesting point, which was he said that these JPEGs, these whatever it's called, CryptoPunks, or the, the JPEG of a rock that sold, they are valuable because in the future, you are going to have a metaverse home and you will hang that JPEG, whatever crypto punk, whatever rock it is, yep. in your crypt, in your metaverse home. And what you will, what people will be able to do is, there's going to be a thing in the metaverse where everybody's going to be checking to see if you your stuff's legit because it's so easy is to copy. Real, is it a real thing? Is it yeah. a real thing? So having those crypto punks JPEGs are going to be legit because it would be kind of cool to have one of those original gorillas that everybody knows about, like the Mona Lisa of the digital age, for sure. I do think that that is, I do follow that for sure. I think that the 
I think there's so many things being created right now that maybe only one less, way less than 1% of what's out there, but only like a small percentage of what you actually see is going to be relatively valuable. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's like, yeah, man, this was minted in, you know, August of 2021 and everybody's like, Oh, that's amazing. It's like maybe, you know, but like, it's kind (sighs) of like how many, the way, a way of thinking of it is like what you're talking about is how many priceless pieces of fine art are there? Not very many, really not very many. Not, not that many. Um, There's only one Mona Lisa. Yeah. Something to, something to take into account is I guess like finances in terms of like money laundering and storing your wealth in an asset class like art and stuff like that. Well, specifically art. And I think stuff like that increases the value of art collecting. And there's maybe a lot of pieces that wouldn't necessarily be so valuable that are more valuable or maybe like, uh, like tax write-offs, for example, Sure, you know, like imagine I create a JPEG of Iraq and becomes worth $2 million and then I give it to charity. That's a tax write-off. Sure. You know, and I think that there's a lot of that that goes on in the art world. So yes. NFTs may not be like that different from that, but I think that there's only a certain percentage of like dollars of the population sure. that can be like wrapped up in that kind of activity. Sure. And I think that the amount of dollars that are currently wrapped up in the whole NFT thing far outweigh what like would be standard, you know, in for, terms of, so thinking of NFTs in terms of art yeah. is, I, I completely agree with that. The next phase that I entered into when I went down my Twitter rabbit hole is I started reading deep on, okay, like the art is such a finite asset class. Like, I'm sorry, you're not going to, you're not going to become a billionaire on art alone. Right. Like in other words, there has to be some sort of utilitarian value for these things. But as I dove deeper into this metaverse concept of, Hey, NFTs are critical for the metaverse infrastructure because it's literally how you're going to define your intellectual. Yes. That, I, I think that distinguishing I think that distinguishing between non fungible tokens in general, like sure. Bitcoin is a non fungible token. Yes. Right. So like any like a any blockchain token is a non fungible token. I think that it's necessary to distinguish between that and the art yes. NFT. And I don't really like the fact that the art NFT, the JPEGs have kind of co-opted the NFT term sure. generally. Well, well because but it, NFTs are so much more, but it's not necessarily going to be like there, there's going to be many many examples of non-fungible tokens that are not inherently valuable. So you're going to have a non-fungible token that tracks like where a, which warehouse a package is in. Sure. That token isn't going to be worth $5 billion sure. for you. However, you know? however, there is a related application. So related to this art collection type of nft right mm-hmm. nft in the sense that culture has adopted the word yeah, nft art. yeah there's a related thing and it has it, what it's going to come down to is brands are going to use nfts to basically transfer their intellectual property from the physical world into the metaverse so what you're going to see is you're going to start to see gucci and prada and supreme and whatever hot brands are out there they're all going to be releasing 
an NFT co-opted with your physical item so that you can, in the future, you can wear whatever item it is that you have just purchased. You can have the physical version and the digital version. And when you wear that around in the metaverse, everybody's going to know, okay, that's a legitimate because they're going to be able to click on that and they're going to be able to see what your NFT is. And they're going to say, hey, those are fake Prada. Like you're like, it's uh, like, imagine people walking around with a fake Gucci bag. It's just it, like people, if people find that out, they think it's tacky, you know, sure. same concept. Yeah. There, there's also a, a more utilitarian angle apart from like status. And I think it's literally just managing your assets. You know, yeah. right now I own any number of things from flash drives to shoes to golf clubs, right? I don't have a digital representation of those. Not that it's important to like prove to somebody that I own a certain flash drive or own um, any piece of clothing or whatever, but it might be worthwhile just to literally keep track of your stuff. Yeah. And like of more valuable things, it might help you like, I don't know, for like insurance purposes, like literally value the amount of goods or like what what is the current value of goods, goods that you have in your home? Right. You know, because like, I literally, I just went through that. It's like, how much do you want to insure your place for? You know, it's like, uh, what's the value of the assets that you have in there? You know, right. I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a spreadsheet where I track that and I don't track yeah. the appreciation on like all or the resale value on the pair of jeans I bought last year. You know, like I don't do that. But if you, if you are issued these digital tokens and you're able to keep them in like um, some kind of wallet or okay. so, some kind of place online, then it would be really easy to track that kind of that stuff. That is interesting. Because you could literally be tracking like resale value of everything in your it define It helps you define your net worth, which is a really it, hard thing to calculate. Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that being valuable. Yeah, because it basically just symbolizes ownership. It just says, yeah. hey, I own yeah. something. Yeah. And blockchain is just all about keeping track of things. Totally. Who owns what and where things are. Yes. Basically. And is it legitimate? Is it is it real? Is it trustworthy? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Those yeah. types of things. Yeah. Well, that's super interesting. And and then that I mean, it kind of does end up going back a little bit in 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 some sense to when it's related to your net worth and you're using a crypt a, a crypto non fungible token to define, hey, here's how much my assets are worth. I mean, it still kind of is a status thing, which goes back to, I mean, to a certain extent, yeah. it is. Well, yeah. And so. It goes back to, again, just the prominence of NFTs aren't going anywhere. No. It's just, I yeah. do believe, I mean, and it, again, it's just, it's so early in the whole Twitter sphere, their understanding of NFTs. Like when I go on, I'm like, you guys are not making rational sense. Yeah. There is this select group of JPEG NFTs that I concur are valuable. Now that is numbered in maybe the thousands and maybe not even quite that. Maybe, yeah. The CryptoPunks collection will forever be iconic. And I think I, there's I agree. there's a lot of those. Yeah. I don't know how many there are. I mean, but yeah, I think some like those CryptoPunks. I think they're going to be valuable in the future. Always, I do think so. Yeah, um, just because of them being this a symbol of like the beginning of all of yes. this, right? Are all the other random NFTs that are being minted and sold going to be valuable? I genuinely don't believe so. They're only going to be valuable to the extent that people are going to want to buy a legitimate and that, NFT and that people that, and that and people put in their know, metaverse house. Yeah, and that people know what they are. That somebody yes. would come to your metaverse house and be blown away that you have a particular piece. Sure. Or they know? just or they look fucking dope. 
And you're not going to want to have fake shit in your house. That's fake. That like that that's where the know. metaverse it, becomes that's, real. That that's not necessarily true. Like I would have like fake art prints. Like I'm not going to have a Picasso in my house, but like I'm down to buy a a good print and throw it in a frame. You know what sure, I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, but and but like, in that and, case, and that and that's pretty but, accepted. Like, but in that case, they they might have NFTs where it's not just exclusive ownership, but you can buy one of ten thousand, fifty thousand prints. Yeah. That's more legit. Yeah. But it's almost cheating. With art, it's not though, because it's it's an aesthetic thing. So it's like. It's, it looks cool on your wall. It's a piece that brings you joy. It's like, if, if I'm looking at a piece and by like Zio Ziegler, for example, like I don't care if it's a print or if, it, I mean, I, I would like the real thing. But that's a physical. Okay. So the problem with, and we have to fast forward 10, 30 years, however many years where the, the metaverse is a prominent place that we spend time in. Now there's no limits yeah. in the, in the metaverse. Yeah. So you can have whatever you want. Twitter is going to develop some sort of meme name and it's going to be like, you're a fake faker or whatever that term is. And you're not going to want to be that. And the Twitter, they're going to try to cancel you. If you, it's going to be very shunned because the metaverse needs to have some semblance of reality tied to it. And so to, to, to go out there and say, Oh yeah, I'm just going to take all this and look at my beautiful house. It's got this NFT and this NFT and this NFT. People are gonna be like, yeah, but anybody can do well, that. Well, you yeah, you're not saying like, I have this NFT. You're just saying I have this piece of art on my wall. Maybe you can't afford the crypto punks, but you appreciate like what they did in culture. So you have like a picture of one on your wall, you know? But in that case, what you're going to do is you're, they're, they're going to have options that allow you to buy at a certain tier. And maybe not the crypto punks, so maybe those are an asset class of their own. But like yeah. some random painting, like sure. there's going to be there's going to be different tiers. There's going to be like this is the true owner, and then there's 500 other you know fractional owners or whatever that is, and you know that's where it gets legit. Yeah, I think I think that that is. This is probably not a very popular opinion. I would say that's probably just like wasted processing power in the metaverse. I think we could be using the metaverse for all manner of creative ventures and maintaining status between like our physical bodies, which are hanging out wherever. It, it just seems like a kind of like a waste, a waste, literally just like a waste of processing But you're discounting. So like, what's what, the point? What you're discounting there though is the human need to be significant and to be important and to be better than the next then guy. do something cool don't just have something cool well like, there will be do something, something cool but there's talented people and then there's and then there's people that aren't talented but have a fuck ton of money and they're like oh i'm just gonna buy this nft because that's fucking sick fuck them who cares but they're <laughs> uh, yeah well and and that's the beauty that is going to be the beauty of the metaverse because in that sense the creative people are always going to have that certain level of creativity that they can champion themselves they can mint their own nfts and other people can copy their shit but you, but there, there needs to be some sort of property rules and the nft the non-fungible token in the sense that we're talking about related to art or just basic ownership of digital assets the nft is going to be critical in determining intellectual property in a metaverse environment yeah yeah i mean Without the without NFTs, the whole thing crumbles. And yeah. I, I'm I'm not saying I'm not saying the art to NFTs. Well, it's nothing just, more than a video game yeah. in that sense. 
And yeah. Yeah, I I think with without the NFT non-fungible tokens proper, the whole blockchain just doesn't work, right? Yes. But I think it still works without the art NFTs. I think I think if you take that piece out of the equation, I think it still works. But okay, so here's the thing that I believe though with that is okay, you take these art or brand NFTs. Yeah. It it it, it disconnects the metaverse from the physical world. Sure. So it's okay. this bridge. Yeah. I, I buy you know, that. it's yeah. the bridge between yeah. the the physical and, and if it's if you don't have it, people are gonna perceive it like a stupid game. But if you do have it, it becomes real and people start to say, Hey, maybe maybe this is real life. Yeah. Maybe this is valuable. And so I think Facebook and all these companies are gonna be pushing NFTs big time for that reason because they know it's it the linchpin yeah. to the reality component of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely buy that. I do think that the, yeah. That, it's an interesting perspective. Yeah. yeah on the scarcity, creating scarcity from digital pieces, whatever they are. I think I, I do buy that that is an important aspect of bridging the gap from physical reality yes. to metaverse reality. That's right. I think that the importance of those things will wane over time as we build out and develop the metaverse. I think that there will be benefits. Yes. <laughs> far beyond like far beyond it being real or being perceived as real. I think that pretty quickly we might might move past that bridge, but I I do definitely buy that. I think I agree with you. Like you we could move away from it, but it's critical for the onboarding people into the metaverse is to create this, this element of, you said it's scarcity Yeah. because one thing that we were talking about on the first metaverse podcast was, Hey, the only thing that's really scarce in the metaverse is time or time and souls. Yeah. Time and souls. <laughs> right. So there, but scarcity, when it becomes infinite, you're just kind of like, what was that game that we bought on PS4? No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky. It was procedurally generated. Yeah, it was like this recursive program. And, you know, it didn't, it was, you get lost in this world and it's just, it, it's pointless. Yeah, but when there's the element sure. of scarcity, which the NFT brings to a metaverse world, it becomes unique. Yeah. One of the reasons I stopped playing video games was because I would find myself in there leveling up, mm. collecting coins, doing whatever. And I always at a certain, and at a certain point I just looked at him like, this is so, so pointless. So pointless. You yeah. know, I'm like, if I want to build something, why don't I go build something where it matters? Why right. don't I go build something in the real world? Right. If I'm going to sit here and try and like conquer this world, like, why don't I, for lack of a better like term, like go conquer the real world. Yes. Right. And bringing scarcity into video games and tying it to reality, I think, like you said, will keep people engaged longer because there's real world consequences and real world, like it, it affects the real world. Yes. It changes the real it, world. It, well, in a lot of ways, like what I've heard about some people talking about the metaverse is that the metaverse is going to mirror more closely than we really would imagine to the physical world, it's going to mirror it than we would think. Like cities 
in theory, the city of Boulder yeah. could say, hey, we're going to construct an exact carbon copy of Boulder in the metaverse. And you have literally, it's just layer two sure. on top of the physical reality. And your condo is where your condo yeah, is. Extra dimension. Yeah. And so that is, and you'll need an NFT to prove that you own that condo or whatever that is. And so I, I think what you're going to start to see with commerce is everything that you buy in the next, let's say starting in the next, starting now to the next 10 years, you're going to see a dramatic increase in the number of things that you buy that come with the physical good and an accompanied NFT token that gives you rights to download it onto your avatar, into your house, or yeah. possess that asset well, in a metaverse environment. Yeah, whatever you do with a token 10 years down the line doesn't really matter. All that matters is that you're able to prove ownership. So there's it's there's, it's relatively low cost for these companies to be able to issue tokens for the things you purchase. Yes. It's, it's relatively low cost, and whatever, you, whatever ends up coming of it down the line doesn't really matter. You know, because it's easy enough to issue issue you a wallet that's attached to your to your Best Buy account or whatever, and then you just have the representation of goods that you've purchased through your account on there. You know? Right, which that's where the net worth thing comes into play, which yeah. would be very interesting, man. Like, it would be super fascinating to see, and it, it, you can already see, like, a an app that organizes all your NFTs into different classes and it says, here's your closet yeah. and here's the worth of all your shit. Here's stuff that has some resale value. Here's yep. what doesn't have resale value. So instead of looking at your closet and saying like, you know, I need some cash this month, you know, I'm going to sell some of this stuff on Poshmark, you know, this app will just suggest and it'll be like, Hey, you're running a little wow. low on cash. If you want to have some spending money at that festival at the end of the month, you might as well sell that sell Patagonia this. hoodie you haven't worn in two years. Right, right. Here, wow. this guy would buy it. Wow. Yeah, the exchange of goods. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. And so, for businesses, it'll be pretty good too because you'll be able to track, like, I guess, what assets the business owns, whether it's oh, for printers, sure. chairs, desks, the whole thing. You'll be able to, it, it's just accounting, just better accounting. So to get to that point, there will have to be a company that specializes in basically digitizing assets. And it, what it does is it partners with Patagonia and it says, hey, look, we are a 3D company. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take your newest product line and we're going to build it in the Unreal Engine. And so it'll be perfect 3D. Yeah. And then we're going to attach to the back end of that an NFT that basically says, hey, Patagonia, this is, you just distribute this with every single, and then that company will also have an app that will, that every time you buy your Patagonia, you'll just scan your little QR code yeah. when you get your, you know, your actual Patagonia, and then boom, it just registers that into your into the meta, metaverse, wherever. Yep. I, I think that'll be two different companies. I think there'll be one company that, issues the nft record of you bought these this pair of socks on this date this you own it right mm -hmm. and then there'll be a second second tier company that then transitions that pair of socks to facebook metaverse google metaverse whatever metaverses there are whatever worlds there are and builds those items into like the different spaces yep so i, th I think there's space right now for a company to basically just take 
the receipts of basically whatever you buy and issue you token for those things. You know, yeah. I don't think it's going to matter for the San Pellegrino that you sure. purchase, right? Food is not going to be included in this. No. Well, <laughs> maybe it will be, but I, I, I th- in a weird way. I, it I be. think it like it would make sense for it to be included because in just in terms of like lifestyle tracking. I mean, if you're looking at like just tracking what it is that you've consumed over the last five years, like that's interesting. So it's only value. So they will be issuing NFTs, but they'll be issuing NFTs that then like plug into a health or fitness app yeah. that then you can prove to, you know, well, you whatever go and, you it go is. To your doctor and then they look over your, your food, your wow. eating habits that for the last be. two years. You know, those NFTs, they're not going to, you're not going to. I'm not going to sell you my NFT of an Apple sure. I bought. There's last no secondary year. market. No, for that. <laughs> there's hell no. There's well, no secondary. Market. I mean, well, no, there is a secondary market. The data. Sure, for sure. insurance companies you know, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, for sure. I think so. There was the big project of, and there, it's still an ongoing project, but scanning all the text that was written and digitizing it. So taking books that mm-hmm. weren't aren't digital books, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have a digital record. Uh, scanning those onto the internet somewhere. I think the same thing is going to happen with physical objects. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think it's, a, I honestly, Tom, I think that a billion dollar business would be, you have a dev team of 3D animators and you go to every single fashion brand and every single car brand, and every single whatever it is, and you say, hey, why don't, for your next line of products, we're just going to release the, you know, the digital version that's redeemable at any given point in time. If you own the NFT, you own that NFT, and you, basically the brand pays you a fee, you know, and then you have a secondary app which organizes people's lives and shows them all their assets. Dude, I think that's fucking huge. Yeah, personal management. Yeah, NFT management. That's yeah. what, what you could call it. Yeah, the thing, N- yeah. The NFT management business, the, 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 the business of organizing things. It's Google in some way. It's Manage, very similar to Google. Manage your things. Yeah. yeah. And then, then Google crawls it, you know, and makes a map of yeah. it or whatever, you know. Yeah. That's a massive, massive, massive business. Because yeah. brands would pay a lot of money. Oh, you want to wear that. these shoes in Fortnite and Call of Duty? Yes, I do want to wear those shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, that's an interesting. This is why I. This is why I love these types of debates because we always find something fucking interesting that comes out of this. Mm-hmm. But that is super, super powerful because somebody needs to get in there and do the grunt work and basically just digitize shit. You know what? This is, and I, I hate to be saying this, right? But something that we need to do, and like as a people, we need to do it, not as a government, but as people, we need to come up with a very good way to tax all this stuff. And I don't think the responsibility is on the government to figure it out. I think yeah. that if we as people come together it's and a shared. present basically an idea for how to tax this whole deal to the government and yeah. they twist it or do whatever. But like, I think that like as Americans, I think that we have a responsibility to figure out how to help our government move into this new world 
otherwise we're going to be playing at a disadvantage because our government's going to so be now you've just by. identified why this nft scanning company is so valuable yeah because it's it, that thing is if you get in the nft generation business like facebook is going to have like the underlying you know infrastructure that's powering the metaverse the world yeah the world and the exchange of goods and whatever that's going to be very valuable but beyond that the next most valuable thing is going to be the person that goes in there and makes sense of all these fucking nfts yeah like that's super important because like you said if this nft scanning business that's codifying you know all the patagonia lineup the yeti lineup all your stuff all your digital assets all they've got all that data they yeah. know what everybody owns and maybe facebook's i'm sure facebook's setting up the mark zuckerberg is setting up that mousetrap right there's, now there's only so much that these companies can do i know it sounds ridiculous because they're huge right yeah but there's only so much that they can do and they need people to yes. build these companies so that they can buy them Yes. Is, is what they need to do. So if you want to make a bunch of money, build these companies, sell them to the big dogs, move on, do it again. Mm -hmm. I think that people are going to begin trading these things. So mm -hmm. like I'm going to trade you, I don't know, my NFT of my shoes or whatever for the N NFT of your hat because mm -hmm. we're hanging out in the metaverse and I'm like, that's really nice. Like, you know, it's like, let's trade that. Mm -hmm. That's a taxable event. It's bartering. Yes. Like, and that's going to be near impossible for the general consumer to track, right? Yes. It's just not going to happen. But this this company, if you have all those assets, could track it. Yes, exactly. They track they track the trades. They track the fair market value yep. at the time of trading. Yep. I, I know it sounds like boring. Like and what your gain is, if it gained value. Yeah, yeah exactly. Did you gain From value? From when you bought it to when you sold it? Did you gain value? Did you lose value? You know, like what's the fair market value? Mm. All of this stuff um, is going to need to be tracked. Yes. You know, and I, I wish it wasn't. I, you know, I'm, you know, free market, you know, capitalist guy for sure. But I think that... It would be irresponsible to not track it. Yeah, it, it, it's in it's in our collective best interest yes, to is. track this stuff. It is. And I don't believe in the government's ability to put together a team to come up with a way to be able to track it, implement it, get people to use it. I think it has to be a... <laughs> private solution yeah well so when you think about the most similar company to the company that we're describing right now it would be coinbase the thing is is that coinbase is not really set up for that they're not set up for moving you know nft assets into different metaverses that's they're, they're set up as your bank yeah it's not your bank is not your closet yeah, yeah they're doing a simple thing. it's different yeah, yeah, it's a different thing. It needs to be a different genre of, of, of very similar to Coinbase. It's like Coinbase hybridized with like Google, where you're literally making sense of all this massive amounts of data, and then you're putting these different assets, and they're all tied to like actual like artistic representations of physical items. So there's an element of creativity in this company as well. Your your employees can't just be a bunch of fucking nerds. They have to have like hardcore like animation skills as well. Yeah, I I, I think there's I think there's different companies for that. I, I I think these are all just different companies that with between which there's a fair degree of interoperability. You know, but but, but what if it was one company? Uh, it could be. Why could I like it be? can't even fathom. I mean, you know. all it would be, you'd, you'd, you'd basically have a couple divisions. You'd have one division that is literally generating, they're taking 
you know, photos and videos of yeah. these physical assets and they're turning them into animated 3D assets. Well, that's so that's, wait, hang on, that's yeah. one division. Okay. So then the next division would be just the people like literally managing, like, here's the tokens, you know, and they're working with a brand to like make sure that the tokens are distributed to the proper owners, you know? So that's, that's it. And then the third division would just be, okay, how do we make sure that this physical item can can you know move from metaverse to metaverse to metaverse and that's it well and then there also be the analytics department that is tracking sales and reporting that to the irs yeah and and providing consumers with analytics providing consumers with views of what it is they own how long they've owned it you know what they should keep what they should get rid of personal life management kind of stuff you Mm -hmm. know yeah and they could control that company could also control the secondary market for some of these NFTs. I see. I see that as more of like an API. I, okay. I, I think there's an API to like an agency who the only the only thing that they or the only thing that this agency does is they determine the fair market value of goods. So yeah. so they're connected to eBay. They're connected mm-hmm. to all the different marketplaces, and they're able to take your pair of jeans that you've had for two years, and they look at it and they say, okay, you know, Tom wore these jeans on know 30 days out of the last year right jeans that have been worn this much have a general fair market value across these different marketplaces of 15 percent of what they were when they bought when they were bought i think Mm -hmm. there's going to be a company that all they do is determine the fair market value of your assets that's interesting and i think that that'll just connect via api with one of these other companies who does all the management and stuff so it's just going to be. I think it's going to be a seri- a bunch of different companies that all kind of work together to be able to to be to be able to make this whole thing run. So, like the company that's determining fair market value, you're going to use them to report to the IRS, and you're going to use them if you're like, hey, you know, is there any way I can swing this Coachella trip in you know 45 days? Right. And then your personal assistant says, like, oh, sell this. Yeah, exactly. Sell this. But we think this is actually going to gain value. So you should trade this for this. Mm. Wait two weeks. Sell it. You know, and it's like, I mean. Okay. So I love that. And I think that this is the perfect time to talk about how in the hell would you ever have the amount of processing power on a blockchain to actually process all of these types of transactions nuclear power well that but that's also where i want to talk about solana so solana is a different almost like an ethereum-esque you know platform and a lot of people are there has we've all heard about the bitcoin maxis who are fucking psycho about bitcoin and it doesn't really make sense oh 90 percent of their net worth is tied up in it i'd be psycho about it too yeah exactly that's exactly why they're they're you know maxis but now there's an ethereum maxi it, just as much because same thing same thing you know okay so solana is fucking shit up right now for the ethereum maxis because like Bitcoin, Ethereum is kind of a dinosaur. And For so sure. yeah. Solana is sexy as fuck, man. So I was watch I was studying up on it this morning and I want to give you the pitch on it of what it is. So basically, it's a high speed, high throughput proof of history chain. Okay. So basically they found out that so 
proof of stake is faster than proof of work. Yeah. Proof of history is faster than proof of stake. stake. Okay. It's so f- how does how does proof of history okay. work? That gen- generally speaking. So basically, the way that that works is it's basically proof of stake, but it adds in this variable of time. So okay. it basically says. In, in the simplest way possible is it, is it says time when these transactions happened doesn't matter. We can organize that later. Okay. So right now where the proof of stake gets slowed down is because it's worried about time. And so all the nodes or computers are trying to get to a consensus on when things happen in the order that they happened. That sounds like a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Well, and it just slows things down. Proof yeah. of work is even worse. Yeah. But so that like... Ethereum 2.0 with the, with the staking, even Cardano with our smart contracts program is kind of a dinosaur in that sense. What Solana basically said was, hey, we don't give a fuck when these transactions happened. We know that they happened because they're being validated by our nodes. And so we can organize that later. And so there's kind of like a layer two that goes in and organizes it and puts it in a nice row. That's t- But they basically have everything timestamped. So there's no discrepancy of when this transaction happened and the order in which it happened. So there's no fighting about that. So basically, it just allows you to just free for all, get in there. And Do you know how many transactions like Ethereum or Cardano are able to it, do? It's, I want to say... Dude, honestly, I think it's remarkably low. Let's see. Transactions per second Ethereum. And they're going to give me the proof of work one. But it is 13. 13. Oh, per wow. Second. That's- so, and, and I'll give you this, Solana. Solana is 1,000 transactions per second. Yeah, that's significantly faster. Significantly. I mean, yeah. A lot faster. And so, Visa, is, so is that the network as a whole or is that one specific node that's able to do that many transactions or how does that... Um, it's the network as a whole. Okay. So, so I'm Visa, if, if one transaction or if a block is made up of a thousand transactions and they're minting a block every second or whatever. Exactly. Okay. So Visa can do 1,700 transactions per second. Okay. So this network is almost as fast as Visa and the more you make it they're, they're, they've set it up so that they can improve it. It's yeah. like set up to very much improve. Now, one of these layer one protocols, so like Ethereum is a layer one protocol and Solana and Bitcoin, I guess, is a layer one or Cardano is a layer one. And then they have these app suppliers on top of it. Those are layer two suppliers, right? Yep. Yep. But one of these layer one protocols is going to win. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so... That's why people dig in so much about which layer one protocol is going to win. But in my opinion, so basically Solana's big bet was, hey, look, these ones might have an edge, but we do more transactions and the transaction speed is what's going to matter because that's going to result in fees for the developers and everybody wants to attract the developers in their program. So here's why I'm interested in buying these coins. I don't own them yet, but I want to buy them is because A16Z, Andreessen Horowitz, the the number one Silicon Valley VC, just put $315 million into these guys. These guys are getting big-time VC money because they're saying, hey, and they did it in a token sale. It wasn't like they put it into their... They literally just bought the tokens. Yeah. So, anyways. Wow. 
What's uh what's the token currently valued at just for a timestamp? I want to say it's like 225 bucks per token. What's the market cap? I think like 50 billion. So it is it is currently sitting at $228. And this thing's sexy, man. And they can get a lot of that talent for for the development. $50 billion market cap. That's crazy. It's about what Cardano is. And Ethereum's sitting up at like, I want to say $400 billion. That's fucking wild. But 13 transactions per second, some of that money is going to leave Ethereum. Yeah. It has to. That's way too slow. Way too slow. Maybe there's certain things, certain projects that could run on it, but... Yeah, I mean, if we're looking at global commerce, it's got to be faster. I agree. I mean, you can't be sitting there swiping your car to the terminal. <laughs> exactly. Waiting, waiting, yeah. waiting for your transaction to be processed. But so, and I don't know what the limitations of Solana are. Sure. Like, can they keep accelerating it to more and more and more transactions per second? Because... Visa wouldn't even be powerful enough to, you know. Well, so Visa is only a payment processor. Exactly. Right? So doing these NFTs. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at, we'll say, we'll say you want to track, track using the blockchain where an automobile is within a city. And every time it passes a certain block on the road, it updates the... NFT, the non-fungible token, its token representation, um, to be to record that it's at a different spot, mm -hmm. right? Which I do believe will happen. If you're going to be running like the full internet of things on the blockchain, you're going to need significantly more transactions per second than is even remotely possible at this point. That is a thousand percent true. And another thing that you had mentioned to me before the other concern about these layer one protocols like ethereum or like cardano or you know whatever solana and you surface this about bitcoin is like the decentralization factor right are these things truly decentralized or are they just you know faux decentralized yeah exactly they're in five five mining facilities <laughs> right exactly you know which there has been good. So I looked up today. They have a, so they now have a metric for how decentralized a system is. I don't know exactly the scale, but the higher the scale of this metric called the Nakamoto coefficient, which <laughs> like is pretty it. funny, yeah. but the higher, that, that just sounds cool, right? Nakamoto coefficient. It does. It does. But but the higher that the Nakamoto coefficient goes, I guess the more decentralized a platform is. Mm -hmm. And so this guy was studying all these nodes and basically so in December of 2020, Vitalik claimed that Ethereum had a Nakamoto coefficient of 34. And at the time, well, no, excuse me. So in April of this year, 
Solana claimed that it had a Nakamoto coefficient of 15. So the the longer that the, these platforms have been in business, the more decentralized they get because they Hopefully, get more nodes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more people using it, so there's it's more decentralized, right? Exactly. Because if you just build something in your basement, it's only running on your computer. It's not decentralized at all. And you, if you have if the only users are you and your friends, then it's not very decentralized. But if you have an yes. entire nation state using it, relatively it's gonna get decentralized. decentralized. Yes. Better, and, better yet, many nation states using it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so the other thing that's cool about Solana that I liked was, so in order to be a node on Ethereum, you basically have to, you have to stake coins. So I think it's like nine Ethereum coins or something like that, which is a lot of money now. Mm-hmm. You have to stake them. And basically you stake them and then you can become a node. So you have to have like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to put aside to just put there. And then you can become a node and start processing some of these transactions. Solana does not have that rule. You don't have to stake any coins in order to well, become yeah, a node. Yeah, it's not proof of stake. Yeah. You just you just have to basically, you can just join up. I think you pay like a fee. Hmm. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be pretty cool eventually because everybody's, I don't know if we'll have phones at that point, but everybody's, you know, bionic eyeball will be a node. You know, yes. you'll be able to have the history of the universe, history of the blockchain universe in your eye, you know, or in whatever piece of tech is bouncing around the physical world. Dude, <laughs> that just reminded me of something. Apparently there's like a way in the Bitcoin blockchain to like upload JPEGs. This is a really trippy concept. And I heard this story. So there's a way to like upload JPEGs and like enter like write notes and like memos in the the Bitcoin blockchain. And it's like it's like immutable. So you can't change it ever. Interesting. So it floats there throughout the ether forever. Well, it would make sense if you were to say you had two wallets and you transferred stuff back and forth. You could probably write code in like, I guess if you had three wallets, you could write in like binary, you know? Yeah. Well, I, and I don't be, know. Be, well, because then it's not time-based. You know, you transfer to one, then it's a one. You transfer to another, then it's a zero. Then you could, you could write in binary that way, I, I guess. I, well, I think, well, but I guess know. what you can do, like I read this, I must have been an article about the space junk of the Bitcoin blockchain. And there's mm. these, there's like letters from communist China about people's lives and like they're just permanently out there and it's actually become a problem for China because they're not able to censor it. And so yeah. they're freaking out about it. And so people are using it as a means of like communication. But then there's other weird shit. Like there's like prayers, like somebody found like prayers just written into this Bitcoin blockchain, publicly accessible, always going to be there, floating out in the ether. Yeah, that's quite the image. It's very weird. That's quite the image. It's very strange. I had a dream one time that I was like running down a stream. I was like running with the stream at the same time as the stream was like flowing down this dry riverbed. And each little bit of the stream that like as it moved forward, it was a different block a different block on the blockchain. And it was like time 
moving forward was like every moment was a block. So as reality progressed from like, you know, the past to the future, it was basically like minting these blocks and then you move through them and then they exist for like all of history. Right. Weird. Yeah. That is weird. Kind of odd, huh? I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if our record, like if the blockchain will become like our record of reality, you know? So we look at it and, you know, jury's like, you know, what happened on February 7th, you know, 1992. And then they'll, well, probably not that far back, but you know, in 2027, then they go on and they look at all, they scan all the different blockchains, you know? And that's our way of like, it's our immutable history of the world. And maybe this is like a huge, huge milestone for humanity is when we move from like written history to immutable history immutable history you can't you cannot alter it yeah that is crazy yeah it gives you the same like kind of pit in your stomach almost when you think about that concept of either your dream or just the idea of space junk floating around in the bitcoin blockchain from 2017 and you're it's kind of the same feeling as when like have you ever like picked up like an old paper that you like worked on from grade school or something? Yeah. 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 And you're just like fucking wild, man. Like yeah. it's been seven years. Cleaning out your closet years. and you find a box full of stuff, you know? Yeah. And then you're like, wow. Yeah. You have a harmonica, a ski pass, and, yeah. <laughs> and a research yeah. paper, you know? And you're like, whoa, what a time. Totally. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if the reason that you and I aren't hanging out with aliens, you know, maybe we've contacted them, who knows, you know, maybe the reason that there are no like aliens, we'll say, or they haven't contacted us is because they just go inward. They just go into their metaverse, basically. That is a big argument that people are making. And it's like, why would they travel billions of light years when you can create worlds without ever leaving your solar system. Well, then the only thing that disproves that is these UFOs that people are seeing. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, the government just opened a, we well, yeah, well, it's saying, yeah, we, we don't know what's going yeah. on with these for but sure. But there's something weird happening. hundred percent. I, 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 I completely agree. But you and I are not sitting here recording with aliens right now, right? Yes, they're a very minimal part of our life. Yeah, exactly. It, and you would think that with the vastness of time and space and, you know, the entirety of the universe that you think there'd be some kind of contact. I, I yeah. would, I, some meaningful, you know, provable, something that's that's a very big part of our lives. So there's not, just... There's not, just not, a, nothing fringe, you know? <laughs> there's a billion Earths and everybody's just sitting... <laughs> In the underground bunkers, do you connect? Do you connect at a certain point? Do you think that, oh. like our Earth, do you think we get to like a certain, you know, maybe there's the metaverse of the metaverse, and each time it gets a little bit more abstract and able to communicate. And one time they're like, "Oh wait, we can communicate faster than the speed of light now." Who knows, yeah. right? And at that point, they're like, "Okay," and then you like, then you're able to communicate and connect with like other nodes around the universe. Well, but I feel like a good way to think about if you just go inward, I don't know. I think a good way to think of it is like 
would we personally want to go outward? And like, to me at this point in time in 2021, going to Mars sounds pretty cool Yeah, for just a little vacation. Yeah. I, two things are interesting about Mars. One is, as Elon says, preserving the light of consciousness. You know, the other thing is just the spirit of raw exploration. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to do it That's just right. because, you know. It's the variety. Like, yeah. the, when you're in the metaverse, you're going to, you are, we are all going to know. I don't care how, you know, convincing it is. You're going to know. Yeah. And there's going to be that Tom Cordell, I want to go to Rocky Mountain National Park and light a campfire yeah. and fucking camp. Yeah. That's never going to go away. Yeah. There's something, yeah metal about doing it in the real world yeah you know and exploring the real world like we've been dream think about this think about how many space movies we've made yeah like they're the most successful movies of all time star wars i mean every space movie that comes out is like fucking you know it's the whole yeah maybe we maybe we load ourselves up onto a spaceship hang out in a pretty nice metaverse float through space till we get to wherever land you just described the plot line of wally oh is that what they do to a t <laughs> although it's a, a little bit you, you wally the, yep. <laughs> that you you just exactly described it <laughs> so the question is though assuming we don't have indefinitely extended lifespans while we're chilling in these pods imagine we are going to float across the universe what about what about reproduction yeah, population collapse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, that's already happening. So the latest statistic from Pew Research is that COVID, so COVID has made people that don't have kids, you, me, a lot of our friends, a lot of the people listening to this podcast, 20% more likely to say that they never want to have kids. So from 2018 to 2021, it was like 70-30 of people saying, I want to have kids. Yeah. It is very close in 2021, just three years later, it is alarmingly close to 50-50. People say they don't want to have kids. Now, go ahead. I, I, I guess continue. So when you couple that fact with the fact that we are, as a human race across the board, because of a lot of environmental factors dropping dramatically in our fertility, you have a already shrinking people that have indicated that they want to have kids and a shrinking, so that pool is shrinking. Yeah. And then on top of that, within that pool, there's less people that can have there's kids. There's less people that can have kids. That is hugely problematic. Yeah. And... Apparently, population collapse happens quickly. How it's so? Quickly as in it's difficult to recover from once it starts happening just because there's less bodies to have more bodies. You right. Know? Oh, I, well, when we so it's we like so many kids. It's like an exponential collapse. Whoa. Right. Yeah. I heard Elon Musk talking about that. It's a concern. A couple of years ago. I, I think I think it was when he was talking to Jack Ma, actually. Mm. And him and Jack Ma are both like, yeah, population collapse is a huge concern. It's happening which, in China right now. Yeah, which is, I mean, we all, we're very trained to think about overpopulation. Mm-hmm. We're not really thinking in the direction of population We've collapse. We've never thought about that. Because if we have less bodies, I mean, dude, we already have a worker shortage. Totally. 
you know, we already like need more people. We need more adults now. Yes. We can't have just less and less and less and so, less and less people. Another fact. COVID also triggered you've probably heard of it, the, the great resignation. Yeah. So all of these people just decided to walk away from their jobs during yeah. COVID. Well, it was yeah. like 4 million people it was like walked f- away from their It was like 4 jobs. million in one month. Yeah, in one month. I, I, I don't remember. In if it June. Was sep- oh, it was June? It was yeah. June. Yeah. Ju- like June was one like month. One month. That's that's insane. That's insane. That's, a, that's problematic. Yeah, that's a huge problem. So you have no... So if there is a population collapse, you have no younger generation to prop up really our generation, but also our parents' generation. For sure. Our grandparents are probably going to not live crazy long. They're going to live longer. Yeah. But how long do our parents live and how long do we live? I mean, as, I mean, if you look into, if you look at it and say that we, with the pace of medical advances and longevity research and stuff, I think there's a good chance that, We'll say, you know, conservatively, we live twice as long yeah. as we're expecting, right? If there's not people being born, then that's... Well, there's less people dying, though. So that... Uh, it, yeah, yeah, well, retirement's got to go out of the window. Yeah, maybe it... Uh, like, that You got to throw that out the window. Yeah. That's not happening. Retirement, <laughs> for us, retirement's not happening. Mason, the good news is... You're working until you're 180. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, I would. Well, the good news is, with that, is you don't... You don't need to retire because as long as you have skills yeah. in like creativity or, you know, some sort of building a business or whatever that is, yeah. it's not that hard anymore. And I'll be honest. You don't want to retire. If you're going to live to yeah. be 200, you don't want to retire when you're 75 and do nothing. I mean, yes. yeah, you take a five-year vacation, go travel around, see the world, sit on your couch, do whatever, but like... You got to get back to doing something yes. at a certain point. You do. Are you going to be showing up to your nine to five? It'll probably look a little bit different. Yeah. For sure. Hopefully you have a greater degree of freedom. Hopefully you're doing what you enjoy doing and what you're good at. And it doesn't feel like yes. work. But here's the other thing. So like an interesting thing that happened with like our grandparents and less so with our parents and definitely less so with us is like there was a point where our grandparents stopped listening to music. And so they still listen to Andy Williams and Frank Sinatra. Sure. We're not going to do that. We're just not. We're all, the pop culture just keeps going and all this stuff is right in front of us and TikTok is pumping all these new songs out all the time. Like we, our generation we would have stopped listening to music and then these younger guys would have their music and like I can tell you right now, like we are going to know the same music that our kids are listening to because we're going to be experiencing the same things that they're experiencing. Yeah. I I wonder why, I wonder why like our grandparents stopped listening to the new music. I wonder if it was a medium thing. Maybe it switched from radio to vinyl or, you know, from vinyl to CD or something like that. And they just didn't make the technological jump or maybe the, maybe there was, I mean, it's a pretty good, pretty big shift from the fifties to the sixties. Right. Yeah. And really big shift from the fifties to the seventies. You know, a lot of stuff changed during that time. Yes. Well, I don't know why, but I would, 
I would have to imagine that the technological jump had something to do with it. Yeah. Going from a gramophone to a record player to a CD, they were probably like, I don't know what that is. That's technology that I don't understand. Now, we don't have that problem yeah. because we just keep moving as the technology moves. We're not stuck with Microsoft Word. We're like, fuck that. We're going to Notion. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah, exactly. Our, our age is constantly, because we're so well-versed in technology. Yes, yeah, 70 to 80s was a pretty big jump too, mm-hmm. going from analog to digital, mm-hmm. you know, and the style of music, music changed significantly, you know. I would say pop music was really like born in the eighties. Yeah. I guess you could say it was born like the Beatles or Elvis, you know? Yeah. But like in terms of being, it being like predominant. Yeah. You know, eighties is like, yeah, it's weird though. Like, like we never are going to stop listening to that music, but I think going back to the whole population collapse thing is we're not going to be able to retire. Really, I mean, we, we will at some point, but it's going to be much, much later than 65 years old. And then on top of that, we, as long as you know how to use technology, yeah, you're going to be in a good position. For sure. And so in my opinion, it's like, and if you're using Microsoft Word on a daily basis or just Google Sheets or Excel alone, like you need to invest, in my opinion, in some skills that are more advanced, you know? Yeah, you need to become like multi, multi dis, not, not multidisciplinary, but you need to be able to use many different things. Yes. Be, like if you have been using Google, or Excel mm-hmm. for the last 10 years and you're pretty good at it, start using Google Sheets. Yep. Start using Pages. Or Airtable or Could, whatever yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Pr- yeah, probably something like, I, yeah, ideally something cloud-based like Google Sheets or mm-hmm. Table, you know. But like do something new and mm-hmm. keep changing it because right. you need to learn the most advanced the general, yeah, the, the most advanced version of whatever it is you're doing. But also you need to learn to look at any different software and look at how to access your account, how to access the settings tab, how to generally accomplish whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish in a variety of different programs and how to recognize this, the little icons, how to be able to recognize how to navigate a new program you've never seen before. And you're never going to be able to do that if you just stick with the same program for the next 15 years. I'll give you an example of that exact thing. So for my entire career, I've been building presentations in InDesign. Yeah. Just recently, Adobe is always making new tools. Now, people that are falling behind are just going to use InDesign for the rest of their life because it's okay. Yeah. But Adobe just released XD, Experience Design, which gives me so much more potential. Like, unbelievable amounts more potential. So, it would, it, it would be foolish for me to not say, hey, I know InDesign. Before, I, before this technology gets too advanced and I don't know it, I should probably start learning XD and dude, it's so much better for certain things. InDesign is still better for certain things too, but you have to stay on that forefront of what those technological developments are because if you do that, you're always going to have a place in the world. You're always going to have a place in the economy. Yeah. And you want to keep your mind changing. 
You want to keep your yes. mind. You want to. You want your mind to be dynamic. Learning. If you fall into habits, you fall into the same mm. thing. Then your mind, you, your your neural pathways, they solidify, mm. and you become a creature of habit. You know, and to a certain extent, that's fine. But like, you want your mind. You want to keep learning. You want to keep learning new things and doing different things. Learning a new program is like living in a new town. Yes, it brings a different part of you out. If you are doing the same thing over and over and over again, what really distinguishes you from just the guy at the DMV that stamps your papers over and over and over again? Yeah. No, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're basically just one of those DMV sloths. Yeah, or a robot. You know? Or a robot. Yeah. You're, you're one step removed from being a, replaced by a robot. Yeah, just pretty much just a consumer. That's how you know. Yeah. If you are doing the same thing over and over and over again and you're not learning a new skill and you're not progressing your skills, you are one step away from being replaced from a robot. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. No, 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 100%. Robots, they're not very good at change. No. But they can do the same thing over and over again. And we, as humans, we are not factory workers. No. Speaking of which, I think that I was listening to just, I, I don't even remember what it was, I think it was Joe Rogan, but talking about American, it was Joe Rogan, Jocko Willink, talking about American manufacturing. Dude, we, America has such a huge opportunity to just build robot-based factories. Like China has so much infrastructure already built. We don't have any infrastructure. Yeah, that's true. And we got a lot of space too. A lot of space. <laughs> Solar panels and automated manufacturing out in the deserts. Yeah. Where are the mega funds that yeah. are saying, hey, look, China is set up wrong. They've got, they're like a slow moving ship. For sure. Let's build some nimble fucking factories yeah. that are all robot based that can build anything. Fuck, yeah, anything. Big ass 3D printers, yeah. all this shit. And like, then we just turn, that's how we beat China. Yeah. Is you just turn China into a fucking fossil in manufacturing and you bring it home. They always say, oh yeah, no, you, you can't build that here in America. That is fucking horseshit. Maybe five years ago we couldn't. But now we can. Why the hell can't we build it? That, that is such a bullshit limiting belief. If somebody were to tell me, oh, no, you can't build that in the richest yeah. fucking country <laughs> in the world. No, fucking build a if, factory. If, if, if you're an American and you say, no, we can't build that. Yeah. Then like. Then you're being lied to. Reexamine those values. Yeah, you're being lied to because by somebody we, has different interests. Yeah, because we can build anything and we can do anything. Yeah. And so I think, and sorry for the tangent and the <laughs> rant. But dude, I was like, what a huge opportunity to outflank China. They would not see that coming. If instead of saying, hey, it, you know, everyone's and talking the, and about And there's not much they can do about it. No, they would get fucked. Yeah. It's like, it would totally outflank them. It's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh yeah, uh, you know, th they're trying to fuck around with like our political system. Oh yeah, Donald Trump's going to become the president again and then there's going to be a civil war and all this shit. No, just fucking say instead of doing the, the Green New Deal or whatever it is, just say, we're going to allocate all that money to building fucking modern factories. That would solve all the problems. Yeah. Build modern factories, run, they're sustainable. They're running on solar. Mm-hmm. And to boot, yeah, hopefully a lot of stuff that they build can be recycled and just put back into the system. Mm -hmm. And then we just buy, recycle, or buy or build by recycle mm -hmm. and, and nothing would just, be cheaper 
and just rip. Yeah, no, nothing would be cheaper. And we could have, you know, whatever we wanted, you know, and all the fun. And, and then we'd be self-reliant as well. Right. And then if you think about it, like, there's got to be a way to design a better factory. Yeah. Like, China's still using assembly lines. Like, there's, imagine if we just invested a little bit in some 3D printing, you know, and really built, like, reimagine what the factory is yeah. from the ground up and said, what's a better way to do this? Is the, maybe the assembly line's the best way, but maybe not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's got it's to be procedural in a certain sense. Yeah. But, like, you know, maybe you'd, I, it's so different for every, for every different kind of thing that you're yeah. making, you know? But you still have the labor. All these Chinese factories are set up for labor. Yeah. So the way you outflank them is you basically just say, well, we're going to set it up. Nobody's going to want to work those jobs in America, so we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And, so, and, and let's say population is declining as well, yeah. then not, not, not going to be a big issue. Exactly. You know? And then hopefully we, you know, invest a little bit into our education system and tr- educate people so that they're able to build and run these yes. programs. You know, they're running code in a factory and thinking of novel ways to create yes. as opposed to, you know, thinking in a very regimented sense and being good at following directions. Yeah. I mean, either way, either way you cut it, the lie that you can't build something in America is a load of horseshit. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is what it is. It is a lie. So we got to invent a new manufacturing system and we've got to build the NFT tracking company. What else? I think that pretty much covers it. This is the Vantage <laughs> Podcast. Podcast.